Now don't you think it's crazy This old world and its ways Whoever thought the 60s Would be called the good old days But like the weavers sang to us Wasn't that a time When we raised our hands and voices on the line And we all sang bread and roses Joe Hill and Union made We linked our arms and told each other We are not afraid Solidarity forever Would go rolling through the hall We shall overcome together long and all As we know, bread and roses is a popular labor movement slogan. The saying means that workers need living wages, bread, and also reasonable work hours and working conditions, roses. Helen M. Todd, in the September 1911 issue of the American magazine, explained the origin of the phrase. After a meeting of the suffragists, we had breakfast next morning at the usual hour of six in the old farm kitchen with its big black cook stove, its centerpiece of the lady slipper flowers on the table, and its back door opening on a yard full of hollyhocks. Maggie ate with us. If you want to know what I liked best of all in the whole meeting, she said, it was that about the women voting so's everybody would have bread and flowers too. Now, that's what Mother Jones took a fancy to, said my hostess. Mother's close on to 92 come next birthday, and I thought I'd make her a birthday present of a sofa pillow with votes of women embroidered on it. But she took such a fancy to this bread and flowers idea that I'm going to ask you to do me the favor to step into Marshall Field's store and get that motto stamped on a pillow and send it to me. And so it was done, wrote Todd saying, I saw that Mother Joan's pillow was sent to her with the inscription, Bread for All and Roses Too. No words can better express the soul of the women's movement than this sentence, which had captured the attention of Mother Joan's, Bread for All and Roses Too. This is the tune they all sang Bread and Roses by Cy Khan, longtime activist, organizer, and singer-songwriter, invoking here the slogan Bread and Roses to evoke the generations of activists who have worked for Bread and Roses in the past, the shoulders each successive generation stands on to continue the fight. But like the weavers sang to us, wasn't that a time when we raised our hands and voices on the line? And we all sang Bread and Roses, Joe Hill And that's just it. It's all about the fight. The fight right here in eastern Pennsylvania, the fight Mother Jones took all through the region. Here's another song by Cy Khan. It's a storytelling song titled Molly Maguire, and it's set right here in Schuylkill County, the turf Mother Jones was traversing as the century was turning. Down in the darkness, down at the breaker, close on the midnight hour, steadily working, quietly leaving. 
Trailing a thin line of powder The little Schoolkill Valley town is all lit up tonight Ah, the little Schoolkill Valley town is all lit up tonight. Dateline, Tamaqua, Pennsylvania, New York Herald, October 16, 1900. At about 2.30 o'clock this morning, people living in the northeastern part of Tamaqua were awakened with loud yells. Strikers from McAdoo, Hazleton, Mahanoy City, and other places had invaded Tamaqua. The procession was headed by Mother Jones and about 25 other women. The strikers assembled at McAdoo last evening at about 11 o'clock. Their forces were divided into two sections. One crossed the mountain in the direction of Tamaqua, intending to invade the Panther Creek Valley from the west. The other division took a roundabout way, intending to enter the valley at the eastern end. At Nesquahoning, or Colliery Number 3, the paraders met the miners this morning going to work and attacked them. A lively fight followed, in which two non-union men are reported to have been badly hurt. This colliery is now tied up. Stones and clubs were freely used. When it was announced that a raid was to be made on the Panther Creek Valley, General Gobin was informed, and he at once ordered out troops. At midnight, eight companies were put on board cars and started for Tamaqua, arriving here at 2 a.m. As soon as the troops alighted at Calgary No. 10, they started in the direction of Tamaqua, but had not gone more than a mile when, at 3 a.m., they met the head of the procession of marching strikers from Tamaqua. It was as dark as pitch and foggy. Colonel O'Neill, in a loud voice, commanded the strikers to halt, and they did so. He then said, I want you people to disperse without hesitation and return to your homes or whence you came. We are on our way to Summit Hill, replied Mother Jones. You can't go there now, said Colonel O'Neill. Wait till daylight. We can't turn the horses, said Mother Jones. You can't. Well, I'll turn them for you, was the colonel's reply, as he gave the command to the soldiers to fix bayonets and load, adding, and when I give the command to fire, I want you to do it. This caused a stampede among the strikers, and they fled in all directions toward Tamaqua, followed by the troops. That from the New York Herald, October 16, 1900. There is a photo of Cy Khan on the web standing next to the Mother Jones historical marker in Adelphi, Maryland, near the farm where she died in November 1930 at the age of 100. Not only has Cy Khan visited the site to remember Mother Jones, he's composed a musical titled Mother Jones in Heaven to help keep her memory alive and to inspire generations to come. The musical opens as Mother Jones arrives in heaven to discover that it's identical to her favorite Irish pub in Hyattsville, Maryland. In the course of the 70-minute performance, Mother Jones looks back over her life, balancing the scales as she sifts through her storied past, weaving moments of profound insight with hilarious tales of a hellion in her prime. The musical stars third-generation actor Vivian Nesbitt of Breaking Bad and Night Shift with guitar accompaniment and harmony vocals by John Dillon.
It's quite remarkable that this original tune by John Dylan comes from his first album titled Pieces of Paradise that just happens to have been produced, engineered, and mixed by WVIA's George Graham. And it's such a delightful coincidence that John Dylan grew up in a family in Bloomsburg that has been growing flowers for five generations since 1875. Ah, roses in a different context. Mother Jones in Heaven, a musical by Cy Con, is on a nationwide tour and will have two performances in Schuylkill County on Saturday, September 18th at 7 and Sunday, September 19th at 1 at The Stitch, 125 Pine Street in Tamaqua. We had a chance to speak by phone with Vivian Nesbitt and John Dillon about Mother Jones and we began with John's ties to this region. I was born and raised in Bloomsburg into a flower business family. You may have heard of Dillon Floral Corporation, greenhouses that my great-grandfather started in 1875. So that was quite a tradition. And I worked in the family business for a while, and but my passion was really music. And so I had kind of a a love-hate relationship with the uh, business and being in the Northeast and being out West. But ultimately, music won out, music and radio. Uh, Vivian and I now host a public radio program called Art of the Song, which we've been doing for 17 years. And we just love it. And we are also very happy to be performing Mother Jones in Heaven, the uh, musical by Cy Khan. Vivian, you have a wonderful conversation with us about Mother Jones and how the project came about, and you seem to indicate that there was something fated in this. I wonder when we hear you and John together, it sounds like that was also meant to be because there's such a comfort mm-hmm. level and a sense of simpatico. Mm-hmm. Yes. I met John in Taos, New Mexico, when he moved back, and he came into a restaurant where I was working, and I poured him a fateful cup of coffee, and that sort of was it. It took us about a month to figure out we were soulmates, and we, we've been together ever since, and that was back in 2002. And it was. It was really it was remarkable, the connection that we had right away. Just a similar worldview, similar spiritual views, and just ways of being in the world that we just flowed right in, and it, it's going on to this day. And I feel really blessed to be part of the, the Dillon tribe, the Dillon family. Really, it's an amazing group of people to to be part of, and the legacy in Pennsylvania that the Dillon family has there, it's really, really remarkable. And the Mother Jones aspect of it, I honestly felt when Saikon, the author, was telling me about the play, we met at the Oak Alliance International, which meets every year, but we were in Toronto that year, and standing in a very crowded hotel lobby, talking about musical theater in the midst of a bunch of folkies, and we were so connected, he was telling me about this play, and I just felt my whole, I just had, I just felt goosebumps all over, and I felt as if Mother Jones was like tapping me on the back of the shoulders and saying, listen, girly, are you, are you taking heed? And it scared the living daylight. <laughs> so I read the play and put it away and then read it again and put it away again and then listened to the music and I just, I played it for John and he said, musical theater? Mm-mm, no. And then we said, well, what about musical <laughs> theater with a, <laughs> with a string band kind of combo? Like, what about guitar driven? And we found a way to do that so we get to do this together, which is 
just remarkable. The comfort on stage is so, it's just tangible for, for me, and I think that reads into the audience. And she's, uh, Mother Jones is, is an intense person to portray, and it's taken me to places in myself that I've, I've learned a lot from performing her, and I think I've grown into the piece over the past couple of years and can't wait to bring it to Tamakwa. And the idea that she suffered so much in her own life, if we look at her biography, and so is that part of the hard part for you, getting into that sense of what compelled her to do this work? Mm. That's what brought me in. That's a great question and a great observation. But that's what really I felt compelled to do the show because of that. I have uh, lost a lot of family members myself. Uh, my father's brothers, brothers. So I am no stranger to that feeling. Have I sat and watched and experienced what she did? No. That was something that I think was unique for her class, being working class, and also for the time back in the 1870s. Her resilience and her choice to take that experience and transmute it into service for others and raising awareness. She was a woman ahead of her time. Besides the fact that she was a woman doing this, was incredible. And the fact that she was a woman who, instead of choosing to go within the system and sort of get married again and change the system from within by changing her husband's perspective, she just railed against injustice and raised awareness for people to really understand the situation that was going on, that the poverty levels were what was what was incurring the tremendous losses from disease. And we see that again today. That's the thing that's really scary, is that we see that again today. That people who have money and people who have resources, not necessarily money, but have resources, are able to get the kind of care or move into the kind of neighborhoods where they might be a little safer, whereas the poor and working class at that time couldn't. So the yellow fever epidemic wiped out thousands and thousands of people. And the fact that she took her suffering and turned it into, she took that energy and just started to go to work on others' behalf was just something I aspire to in my own life. You know. Did she have any role models herself? Did she learn how to organize and do what she did in the field, rally folks to the cause? Did she just instinctively know how to do that? Or were there people she looked to? Do you have any sense of that? Well, that's a really interesting question. And I asked a couple of the, like Elliot Gorn, and there are a couple of historians that we've had conversations with. And my question was that when she was still living in Ireland up until she was about 14 years old, Daniel O'Connell was agitating for home rule within the Irish population in Ireland. And she would have known about him. And he was one of the greatest orators of his time. And some say, you know, one of the greatest orators of all time, because he spoke to people's passion and he spoke to their heart and to where they lived and their their sense of their better angels and their sense of self-worth. So as an Irish woman or a child in Ireland at that time, I don't even think that child would be an appropriate term for her. I think she probably grew up so fast that childhood was something that was brief and fleeting. I think she may have been influenced by Daniel Carl. The other, the other person that is hinted at in the play is that she was influenced by the legend of Molly Maguire. 
and that she sort of patterned herself after Molly McGuire as being one of the most terrifying women in the... We don't know if Molly McGuire actually ever existed, but she certainly was a legend that was strong in the coal regions of West Virginia and Pennsylvania. So you're able to be a hellraiser on stage, are you? I think Oh, yes, she is. (laughs) (laughs) You'll have to come and see the show and check in with him later. I, I think so. It sure is fun. I get to do things I would never in a million years do. And one of the best things about it is I get to sing Cy Conn's songs. I get to sing 13 Cy Conn songs. And that in itself is just a gift. He's a folk singer and a singer-songwriter, but he writes for musical theater. So the songs are incredibly reachy, and they, they reflect his personal range and his singing voice, which is enormous. And so that's been a, a real stretch for me to actually learn learn that technique and to be able to sing these songs and also tell the story, the profound stories that he tells within the songs. John, we know the sense that music wasn't just an add-on after the protesting was done. It was a part of the organizing and a part of the movement, wasn't it, in terms of, again, that sense of solidarity and raising the morale and keeping people together? Exactly, yes. This is what happened in the Union Halls in Mother Jones' times. There's a line in the play where she talks about that and where she would hang out in the Union Halls after she had all of this terrible loss in her family. And she says the part that I liked the most was the singing. So, yes, singing and organizing music was a very big part of that. And if Cy Conn has been historically an activist in his life as well as a performer and a composer, then he's able to put together songs that have all of that. Vivian, you were just suggesting something like that, right? Yes. Cy, his his line is that he's a labor organizer, first and foremost, and was for 52 years and worked all through the South organizing civil rights and also organizing in the coal fields. And he he was a labor organizer and started a program, a, a company called Grassroots Leadership, which is still going strong today about teaching people to organize. And he said his, he had a songwriting hobby that got out of hand. And I would say, yes, 500 songs. And there's a wonderful book. Rise Up Singing. Rise Up Singing is this wonderful book that has folk music, hundreds of songs. Only Woody Guthrie and Pete Seeger have more songs in it than Icon. (laughs) So it's it's a remarkable collection of work that he has. So his his poetry uh, that he then writes his songs with comes from that recognition that music is a necessary tool and a necessary companion for people who are struggling. To what extent did you both work with him on crafting the piece that we're going to see? Oh, months and months and months of careful. We spent time around a table together, and we, we spent five days in rehearsal, eight hours a day, working with a director, crafting and going over word for word and making sure that it, that it was saying exactly what he wanted it to say in every moment. And you are coming to... Tamaqua to perform, and you have reports from the New York paper and other places about Mother Jones in northeastern Pennsylvania. Tell us a little bit just factually about Mother Jones here 
Well, there were some remarkable articles that were written, I believe it was in 1902, 1909, that Mother Jones was there organizing in the region. And the anthracite fields factor a lot in the play. We talk about them all the time, the northeastern Pennsylvania anthracite fields. And the fact that the coal miners were her, she considered them her children. For some reason, they spoke to her. And I believe that it was the coal miners that she took to the most because the entire country rested on the back of that team of men who were down in the mines bringing coal out to supply energy to the Industrial Revolution. And without them pulling anthracite out of those fields in Pennsylvania, the, the country wouldn't be what it is today. And she went to the absolute lowest common denominator for any equation and would go down in the mines with the men, which was unheard of. She would go down in the mines with the men and organize them while they were in the mines. She saw straight through, you know, you could go and talk to the politicians and change the legislation, but if you didn't change the heart and mind of the man who was doing the labor, no change was going to be affected on a grand scheme. So she would go straight to them and teach them that they were worth more than what they were getting. And she instilled a sense of self-worth and dignity to men who were living in the dark and being treated like animals. Is it in her autobiography or another one of those excerpts from the paper about the way she would make sure the men were dressed properly and that there was an American flag that was Mm -hmm. prominent in the protesting? Yeah, she was very, she was adamant that you showed up with dignity. And she actually, for all of her inflammatory remarks, she was not an advocate of violence. There's a really interesting quote about her work in Michigan in the copper mines when she said, do you think the doctors and lawyers are going to show up? Do you think the lawyers are going to show up with guns? No, you have to be smarter than them. And so she she advocated for education and, and learning to read and becoming savvy and not resorting to guns. We want to come and experience it so that we can tell for ourselves how she speaks to us today. She might have been tapping you on the shoulder, Vivian. Do this, do this. But she wanted through you to talk to us today. So what are some of the things that you've come to in that way? Do we owe it to each other to come together to make the world a better place, not just for one, but for all? I think she would be advocating for working people across political and social division that we're experiencing today to come together. I think she would also be advocating for people to be aware of their circumstances in comparison to what they're being told. Um, the, The coal miners back in her time were being told that they had great jobs and that they were being paid fairly and that they had everything they needed. And we know for a fact, looking back, that they didn't. And so I think she would, she would ask people to stand up and, and really listen for the truth and to stand in their own dignity, looking toward what is going to be for the betterment of everyone involved, not just the owners of the mine or not just who's going to get paid the most. She was an immigrant and she was working with immigrants. Mm-hmm. Does immigration as a phenomenon take part in the way she speaks or works? It does. And, you know, it was a very tricky time. She she made a lot of mistakes. And one of the things that I do find so compelling about this piece of theater that we do is that she's addressing some of those mistakes. 
she talks about the horrible racism that was going on at the time, um, particularly toward laborers um, before any immigrant that came to this country, and the names, the racial slurs. And these were for, you know, people from Northern Europe that were being considered less than and being treated like animals. And so we do address that because, again, this country was built on immigrant labor. And it's something that, that she fought for, for people to be seen as human beings worthy of a decent wage because they were putting food on the tables of everyone, of everyone else in the country. So it really, it's, she had an all-encompassing life. If we remember what was happening in the 20th century and there was political theater, Bertolt Brecht wanting to distance Mm. the audience so that the audience could understand with their minds the message of the piece and so forth. This sounds like a piece that is so rooted in this human being, Mary Mm -hmm. Harris, Mother Jones, and your presence as Mother Jones, that it's a question of being compelled by her presence and devotion and dedication to these issues rather than just telling us what the issues are and we should do something about them. Yes, and the music really lands it solidly into your heart. It's very difficult to hear the songs without feeling. It's not It's not an intellectual play, not an intellectual experience. It's a full-body experience, and that's that's something that comes along with her too. She she walked everywhere. She was she was an intellectual. She she carried with her a copy of Les Misérables in her bag, and she and she read voraciously. She was very literate. She taught math to the little kids. She taught math to the minors so they would understand when they were getting shorted. Um, she taught them how to do a lot of that stuff. And education was really big for her, so she was an intellectual in this brawling, five-foot-one Irish female body that just scared the living daylights out of men twice her size. I was also moved, Vivian, when you were talking in the video clip about being in Toronto, and she had been in Toronto, (laughs) and you felt moved by that very place being the place where she was, and now you're going to be in Tamaqua, where she was. What is it about place and a presence like Mother Jones? I think... If we tap into it, we're going to be aware of it wherever we go. It's the people who've come before. You know, we're always standing on hallowed ground. Always. John and I live very close to the Saratoga battlefield. And to stand out there and know what the people went through who were fighting for this country's liberty, and to stand there and feel that is to remember these are the people that I owe my privilege and my life to. And when I think about Mother Jones, when I walk in her paths, you know, we've been to Mount Olive a couple of times now, and we've stood at her graveside, and it feels so present. John and I have also traveled to Ireland with another play, one that I wrote, and in the footsteps of my great-great-grandmother, who was also an Irish poet, a rebel poet, and it's present. If you allow yourself to remember and allow yourself to be open to it, Mother Jones will come knocking, <laughs> and she. She doesn't suffer fools. You know, if you say no, I don't, I'm kind of tired. She's like, well, how do you think I felt when I was walking from Tamaqua back to where I was staying in another town 10 miles away in the middle of the night after a strike, you know, or during a strike? How do you feel when she was in jail for 29 days without a change of clothes? How do you, you know, boy, it really brings it home what people went through to give us the privilege and the honor of actually calling ourselves Americans. John, does she hum in your ear? Do you hear Mother Jones music? <laughs> oh, yes. 
<laughs> it's just such an honor and a pleasure for me to be able to participate in in this portrayal as a as a music director and as an accompanist and I sing harmonies with with Mother Jones <laughs> and I'm actually not only the musician but I'm kind of the bartender in the <laughs> the Irish pub that is heaven for Mother Jones and we have some fun interacting together and never in my wildest dreams would I have believed that that this guitar player from Bloomsburg would end up doing a musical theater piece about Mother Jones <laughs> Vivian Nesbitt of Breaking Bad, The Night Shift, Off-Broadway, and more. And John Dillon, Art of the Song, and that's a public radio program. He's a native of Bloomsburg, Pennsylvania, and they've been speaking with us about Mother Jones in Heaven, a musical by Cy Khan. It's a one-woman, one-act performance with one foot in the folk tradition of storytelling and acoustic guitars, and the other in the true American art of musical theater. The show opens as Mother Jones arrives in heaven to discover that heaven is identical to her favorite Irish pub. We heard that Mother Jones was active in and around the anthracite fields, and there was a report in the New York Herald in 1900 in October that she was processing through the Panther Valley and in and around Tamaqua and was confronted by General Gobin and his troops. And it is just fitting that Tamaqua will host Mother Jones in Heaven, this musical by Cy Khan. There will be two performances, Saturday, September 18th at 7 p.m. and Sunday, September 19th at 1 p.m. at The Stitch, 125 Pine Street in Tamaqua. And you can find all the information you need at tamaquaarts.org, tamaquaarts.org. And Tamaqua is spelled T-A-M-A-Q-U-A, tamaquaarts.org. Mother Jones in Heaven, a musical by Cy Khan, featuring Vivian Nesbitt with John Dillon of Bloomsburg, and they will present the piece Saturday, September 18th at 7, and Sunday, September 19th at 1, at The Stitch, 125 Pine Street in Tamaqua. For more information, tamaquaarts.org. Out in the darkness, standing together, Ten men are lined on the gallows 